Welcome and thanks again for listening. We just want to apologize in advance for some of the audio issues on this episode. You might hear some dogs and planes and a few spats of rain in the background. Bear with us as we're still making this thing up as we go along. Here we go. All right, we're in, we're in. We're in. Welcome back. This is Brian Carlson. Folks call me BC. My name is Wayne Witherspoon, and people call me Spoon. And uh, this episode today, we have for our guest, a good close friend of mine, director of photography, Tommy Maddox Upshaw, ASC. And uh, Tommy and I have really known each other like since, since we just got out of college. Him and I. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. I think Tommy's one of the uh, up-and-coming young DPs. I've worked with him. Uh, I think I first worked with him on Real Husbands, Real Husbands of Hollywood. Okay. Yeah. But before we get into that, tell me, young Brian Paul Carson. Yeah. Also known as BC. Yeah. How did you get into this? And what made you want to be a filmmaker? Oh, gee. Oh, man. Um... Yeah, like so, like I said, I met Tommy in mm-hmm. Boston. I was working at this place called Boston Film and Video Foundation. And, and the reason why I ended up there in the first place, I'm, ri- I'm not from Boston. I'm originally from New York. Traitor! <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I went to college. I'm originally from Staten Island, and I went to, uh, to high school in upstate New York, and then I went to college in Rhode Island. I went to college for art. Um, I got a scholarship and I got accepted to do painting. I graduated from Rhode Island School of Design probably like two years earlier and I moved up to Boston and I had moved to Boston because I thought I wanted to do documentary film. Thinking, you know, because I wanted to do documentary is a good place to be because WGBH is there. And I was there in Boston. I was was working at Boston Film Video Foundation. That's where I met Tommy. And then Mm -hmm. I got a job working at... um, I was the um, department manager and technician for the film department at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts. Okay. And it, it was, was kind there kind of where I decided uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to work in movies. Yeah. And um, six years in Boston trying to work in the film industry was not easy, as imagine. I'm sure a lot of people who like in places like Detroit and Pittsburgh and, you know, those smaller markets trying to be a filmmaker working you know in, a, in Hollywood with that that sort of aspiration can be hard but I got lucky I got lucky because this documentary that I did do coming out of college uh, won me an award and introduced me to some folks a guy named Rob Spruill who owned a owned a like a film a sim- making center um, and camera rentals and and production services and he got a, got a phone call from Kakai Ampa who was in town in Kakai Ampa so. Kakai Ampa is um, is a location manager okay. big time location manager he's done like the color purple he did a oh, okay. lot of Clint Eastwood's movies oh wow and he was in Boston for Mystic River ah okay this okay. is 2002 mm-hmm. long story short I got the job I mean Kakai calls this guy Rob and me and Rob are standing outside of Film Shack you know his place and we're loading up uh camera equipment and stuff we're doing like this this video um magazine and we're about to like basically spend the whole night 
doing like documentary style shooting of like backyard boxing in the in the hood <laughs> and like you know uh, basketball tournaments summer basketball tournaments and, right. and so we're loading up the gear and and Rob gets this call and he's talking to Kakai and 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 all of a sudden Rob's like uh, I got a guy right here in front of me and he hands me the phone and I'm like what is this he's like he's looking for uh, a location assistant so like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so I t- and I'm talking to him, and he's like, "Would you be interested in the job?" I'm like, "Yeah." And uh, he's like, "Okay, well, come in tomorrow at nine. I'm about to go out. We're about to do seven to seven on this like Whoa. this documentary thing." Right. But I'm like, "I'm gonna be there." Yes. So literally, I worked all night long. Um, sun comes up, get home, change, shower. And jump in my car and drive over to, I, I can't remember, I think I want to say it was like the Sheridan Hotel where they were setting up... Uh, production. Yeah, they were right. setting up production for Mystic River. So mm-hmm. I, I interviewed with, with Kakai in this the, the production office with that didn't even have any, any <laughs> you know, it was like me, it was almost like a, a FBI interrogation. It was like two <laughs> chairs, him and me. Right. And um, I think I bumped it to someone who I knew in town who worked in production and she was uh, interviewing as well but Kakai gave me the job and he, and he told me I was his third choice <laughs> <laughs> he told me I was his third choice but the only reason why he gave me the job was because the other two people turned him down because of the hours in Boston people don't want to give up their steady gigs so they're looking right. at they're looking right, right. at you know two to three months worth of work and after that you're unemployed right you know and i i had just left my job of two years at the museum school Mm -hmm. um so and that was my first big show that was my first big show i remember one day kakai's like he hands me this piece of paper and i'm like what is this he's like it's the call sheet and i'm like (laughs) what is that and he's like look at it read it you know learn it exactly look on the back of the call sheet look on the back of the call sheet and 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 i looked at it and i and it it amazed me honestly it amazed me the amount of information that was packed into that legal sized piece of paper front and back and i and i also picked up that i i realized because you know i'm in the locations department i'm interacting with production design grips electric we're going out on like um scouts tech scouts and and also interfacing with the ad's rob lorenz was the the first ad on that he was also the producer and i started to understand how the information that we were feeding to the ad's was being synthesized into that document right and how it basically gave everybody their instructions and marching orders throughout the day so yeah, no, like that was my first real taste, and I was like, I, I, there was never a moment on that show that I ever felt like um, working in Hollywood because this was a it was a big Hollywood movie. It was Sean Penn, Lawrence Fishburne, Kevin Bacon, you know, Marsha Gay Harden, um, Tim Robbins, you know, all the all these big time actors, right. Laura Linney, and and Kakai said it is like you're on the big show, yeah. You know, yeah, that was huge. Yeah, it was huge, and and then never once did I ever feel like I can't cut it. Right. You know, you, so you I had 
you felt that I, this is my world. Yeah, I could I could flow in I this could world. Function, I could function in in, yeah. in this in this work environment, and, and it was up my alley. Right. You know. Uh, so, you know, I think if it if it wasn't, I would have picked up on that. You know, I probably would have switched gears, but it only drew me in more. Right. And made me more hungry. Right. right. And uh, you know, I probably should have made the leap and moved out here to LA sooner but I kind of got stuck in Boston I think I think for financial reasons before I left Boston I, I was got, very often setting up like Avid Systems that was one hmm. job that I had it was a company I worked for and they had a few Avid Systems and uh, they would rent them out and I would I would literally you know set them up at other people's offices or in their homes right and, right and then i got off they, that same company they were they were kind of a production company they got called by a, a la production company that was doing a reality show they were like hey are you interested in working camera on this reality show and wow. i'm like yeah sure like i'd never done it before right and and that was ghost hunters oh get out of here <laughs> that was ghost that was that first season of ghost hunters i think i you know we worked for probably like two weeks and we all got fired none of us knew what we were doing <laughs> <laughs> i uh i stuck up for myself and i spoke to the company and i said to him i was like look we all got fired you know was it because of my work right. you know because i take pride in my work or was it something else was essentially it? without saying it was it because our directors and producers really weren't producing well enough to set us up for success right and they they essentially said it was a little bit of both and i said okay fair enough you know um but if you need anything in the future let me know right and so they had another show come like about six months later and that was called firehouse usa and i got on that for like seven months oh wow with them um i worked as an operator as an operator okay. i i mean i kind of got like the the shit job i i worked night shifts right so i was on call up seven to seven every day five days a week um in the firehouse and um and did that for seven months and made a, a good amount of money right it was the first time i had a, a decent rate right right you know non-union but i'm making a decent rate making good money and once the show was over i had enough money you know i had a nice nut to pull the trigger and move to la Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and I always tell people like once I did move to LA, I moved to LA in 2006, and um, I worked more in the first two weeks in LA than I did the previous two months in Boston. Wow! You know, I started commuting down to San Diego. I was doing like some small music videos here in LA, working grip and electric with Tommy and a few other. You know, uh, oh, so Tommy had he had already been out here. Tommy had already moved out here. Yeah, he moved out here for uh, for grad school at AFI. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. A few years before me. So it's like, you know, I had friends out here. I had friends from college out here. A buddy and of mine, he worked for Mark Burnett. So I was able to get some reality TV gigs. And, you know, like my my, my journey's been, I, I pretty much had spent 10 years in reality TV, including uh, a three-year stint in and out of Iraq and Afghanistan. That was right around the time of the the, the writer's strike in 2007. Wow. I got Iraq off. and in Afghanistan? Yep. I was a video editor there. You know, that, that paid well. It, it, it was a solution, 
uh, at the time when the strike was impacting me. It was right. only my second year in LA, and I, I really didn't know how to navigate that. So I took that job and came back and kept working in reality uh, TV. By that point, I had all this street cred. They were like, oh, are you in Iraq and Afghanistan? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to stick you on a boat, and then we're going we're gonna to put you on a helicopter. We're going to fly you out to Alaska. You know, and I did, that for wow. like, I did that for like three years until just playing basketball. I tore my ACL. Wow. That sidelined me for about six months, and I was like, I don't want to do this no more. I, you know, I fell into reality TV. I wasn't passionate about camera. Like Tommy's one of my best best friends, closest friends, and uh, th you know through my relationship with him, I understand what it really takes to be a successful cinematographer. Right. And I didn't have that. I I, I didn't have that passion. Right. Right. You, you could know. do the job, but it wasn't something that you dreamt. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life working camera. Gotcha. I could do it. But it, it really didn't keep me going. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, and um, and I said to myself, you know, because I'm sitting there, I can't work. I can't put weight on my, my knee. Mm. And, um, and I said to myself, you know, if I'm not going to do this and I need to work, I'd rather be an AD. I'd done it before. Right. I enjoyed doing it. I describe it as mental gymnastics. <laughs> yes. It's a lot of problem solving, and, and I felt like I was good at it, and I enjoyed it. So I switched gears, and really it was Tommy who kind of getting into production as an AD. Mm -hmm. I, you know, trying to do it the old-fashioned route, you know, of be a PA, get your days, eventually get into, the, you know, submit your book and get into the DGA. Right. Tommy was doing a movie called The Perfect Match. And he introduced me to the first AD. He told the first AD, he's like, hey, a buddy of mine's looking to PA. Right. And he's like, okay, I'll talk to him. Tommy also told him, it's like, he's an older guy. He's a professional. He's going to do a good job. But he used to be a camera operator. So the first, he says to me, um, and this was his, I knew this was his test. He asked the question. He was like, so when you see... The camera guys moving gear and you know they could use a little help what are you gonna do I'm like nothing that's their job it ain't my job and he was like that's right good answer because <laughs> <laughs> that was sort of my way of getting my foot in the door and like I always say to people it's all about who you know but once you get your foot in the door, you really got to show people that you know how to do the job. Otherwise, they're not going to call you back. Exactly. That AD did call me back. Nice. That AD hired me on another job that introduced me to another AD who she offered me a job to work on another job with another AD who then offered me a job that was Real Husbands of Hollywood. And that's how I met you. Ah, Van Hagen. No, it was actually Stu. Stuart Hagen. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I, we've worked a bunch since then. Yeah. It's been eight years, and yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I try not to do anything without you. Well, we're doing this. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so today's episode is with award-winning director of photography, Tommy Maddox Upshaw ASC. And uh, Tommy's known for Showtime's uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. He's worked on Empire. Okay. He's worked on Real Husbands of Hollywood. He's yeah. worked on Snowfall. Yeah. And he's 
also um, this director of photography for the 2023 version of uh, White Man Can't Jump. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, without further ado, Tommy Maddox Upshaw. T-Mad! What you been up to? Anything interesting? Uh, just got back from vacation while the strike is going on. And I was in uh, Europe and uh, Portugal and Spain. How long? How long were you there? There for like, I don't know, 14 days? Maybe okay, for 14 Ooh, nice. Days. Yeah, we did Spain first, then Portugal. You, your wife, your daughter? Yep. All three of us went. My daughter's on a school trip and we met up with her out there. Cool. Oh, nice. Good time. Yeah. Good time to do it. Yeah, exactly. Nothing going on and having a little fun. Yeah. Yeah, how long you been back? I've been back now for two weeks since our trip. Okay. You know, so we'll see what the heck happens in the near future. So me and you, we go way back. Right. So we've known each other for a really long time. Man. Since, what, 2001? I think we met in 2000. 2000? That's when, we were, that's when I was at uh, Boston Film and Video Foundation. Right, so then yeah. it is then. Since 2000, because like I, I moved to Boston in 99. Right. And I, you know, I moved up there thinking I was going to do documentary and like Yeah, WTH. yeah, man, we, were talking, we were talking about that when we first met. Yeah, it's like, my, yeah. That, was my, that was my goal, that was my focus, to do documentary. He's an award-winning documentarian. That's well, why. I did win. He is? I, a couple, but not like major. But, but I, with, I did like, win with, with, with something he did for, uh, as a school project, he won, yeah. he won awards and films. Like, it, it, this is the, the the cool thing about this show is, I find out things that I I've known I've known him eight years now, had right. no idea. We were talking just the other day at my house, no idea some of the things that we that we didn't know about each other. But that is something I didn't know about you that you won awards. For. Yeah, no, it's like my like, yeah my uh, my degree project uh, at RISD um, was like a half hour documentary about these two Latina sisters in Providence who uh, were locked up for attempted murder. Oh, wow. When they were like 13 and 15 years old, they attacked Damn. a girl like after school, put like 300 stitches in her face. And you know, and I wanted to do a documentary on rehabilitation in prisons and, and these girls through the grapevine, you know, of me trying to like find a story. Yeah, they were like sort of model citizens uh, in, in lockup as teenagers. And I, that's, I just, I was like, there's my story. And I just did it. and. Put it in a couple of small festivals and won a couple of awards. That's how I, we did my first uh, short. It's because I won that award oh, yeah. with the uh, New England Film and Video yeah, uh, yeah. Festival and Rob Spruill. Rob Spruill, Film Shack. Back in yep. In-kind, I think they gave us like, I want to say it was like $10,000 at in-kind services. And we There's decided- a black-owned production company in Boston called Film Shack and Rob Spruill. Uh, because you and I, we met at, at Boston Film Video Foundation. Yeah, where I did my first. Like, yeah. I, I cut your reel. And I cut your short film. It was the it was my class project because we we weren't we learned a little bit on the Steenbeck at BFVF, and which doesn't exist now. But you were like the official editor for the class, so I think you cut everybody's stuff, and you and I just like like maybe chummed it up and then you were showing me how to tape it, and you know I, I learned a little bit, and we would go back. Oh, to so work. you guys, you're talking. So you guys cut on 
Film. Yeah. Wow. Back when I okay. first shot anything, Brian was the guy who edited. Oh wow. Yeah. Well, again, something I, mean, I, I didn't know. I'm thinking right. this video. And I mean, I, or, or just you know, electronic. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I, I worked there. I was the technician and equipment uh, rental manager. And considering the fact that it was a film, like camera class, yeah, it was. They weren't. They didn't have the time to teach everybody how to cut their stuff. So they probably leaned on in you know in-house services yeah i.e yeah, me yeah x amount of time to get it your edit done yeah. so yeah no i was like i know your story very well but you coming you're out, part of it yeah <laughs> you now for those who don't know where'd you grow up so i'm a i'm a native bostonian uh from a park called mattapan inner city much like inglewood that i live in now except that inglewood's being totally gentrified. Mattapan is not. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah, nobody, nobody's buying property on Blue Hill Ave. Nah, not They're not no, building a new stadium in Mattapan. No, no, no. They're not. Two new stadiums. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, two new stadiums, yeah. So I start off in Boston, uh, but my first production jobs were working on music videos in New York because my sister was a casting director. Right. Like extras casting down there. She used to model and and she would bring me on set, her and her boyfriend at the time, Rich Ford. The first thing I ever saw, first set I ever saw, was Fab Five Freddy was directing a music video in New York. <laughs> my sister brought me on set. And there was Fab and whatnot, and there was a brother who was his DP. So like the first cinematographer I ever saw in person when I was like 18 was a brother named Alan Ferguson, who directed a bunch of Solange's music videos and like, like I saw him shooting. And then the first music video I ever worked on was uh, Brandy and Wanya Morris from Voiceman, Broken Hearted. The director was Hype Williams and the cinematographer was Vance Burberry. So uh, I was just a PA for a guy named Mike Ellis. Do you know Mike? Yeah. Hey, Mike. I, I, Mike Ellis, well, I got a story about Mike Ellis, which very cool, very cool brother. So what happened was, uh, you know, Gigi, you know, Gigi, yeah, right? Course, Gigi, Gigi, right? Yeah, Rochelle. Yeah, Gigi yeah. Rochelle. Great producer. So, Gigi, I did this movie with, with uh, Grits. Right? Uh, <laughs> so, I did this movie with Grits and for TV One, and Gigi, they sent Gigi in to come in and kind of just like, yo, house everything up, right? And I remember when we first met, I'm like, I'm like, Gigi said something to me, and I was like, what? You know what I mean? I just like, fuck you talking to but it became a situation we were we ended up being really cool because she and i now stay in contact yeah, yeah, yeah. and i you know i work for her and so um Gingy worked as a key second for mike i was doing uh i was working with van on um van hayden yeah for uh what's the name of that that what's that thing project Greenlight. Mm, we're doing okay. project Greenlight, right so i get a call which i interviewed for and didn't get should have and so i get this call from my key second julie right. who's now moved up to uh she's moving on to being a um upm right so i get this call and julie's like hey uh Gigi just called me wants me to come down and work on this movie in in alabama i was like oh okay so i expected a call then kenny my boy kenny right. i get a call yo Gigi just called me and wants me to work on this movie in alabama i, I never got a call so all my people are going to Alabama, right? Right. So 
Mike had just lost his leg. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, trying to run around doing all that. Yeah. So they called me. I'm in New York, and they called me, and they're like, "Hey, we need you, you know, because Mike's not doing too well." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm in New York right now." They was like, "Well, when can you get down here?" I was like, "I'm gonna fly back to L.A. first. I'll finish my vacation, fly back to L.A. And you guys can fly me out there, because you motherfuckers didn't want my black ass in the beginning." <laughs> <laughs> and I and I told her that she laughed. I was like, "Yeah, you you took all my people." But then he would call me, and I'd already firsted. I'm the one who brought them motherfuckers on. And so you're not even gonna bring my black ass on? I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, okay. but Mike Mike was cool, and I what we ended up doing is I ended up hiring Mike's daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, as a PA, and now I think she's doing uh, makeup. Yeah. So I was PA for Mike in 97, working on music. That, that was my first joint, it was uh, Broken Hearted. And then after that, I would go between Boston and New York periodically on the Chinatown bus for 35 bucks in PA. And then when I was PAing, I started to learn about Grip Electric. So a brother named Donovan Lambert in New York taught me about opening C-stands and all this different stuff. And then I would hang behind like Cliff Charles and watch Malik Saeed shoot. And, and then uh, when I finished at College of the Holy Cross, my undergrad, I worked in local 481, which is a Grip Electric Union in Massachusetts. I actually got him before I graduated uh, because of a Holy Cross mentor of mine, Brian Heller. He was an alumni, he's a DP, he's a cinematographer, and he got me in the union on this little movie out there in Massachusetts. I was in the Grip Electric Union in Massachusetts. What first. movie was that? I think it was uh, Mr. Boston or something. It's like some little political, I forget. Oh, wait, no. Was that like a baseball movie or something like uh, that? This one was like a, a political little drama. Okay. But Brian Heller got me on that and got me in the union doing that. So then I was, uh, and this is after I had a construction job. I had a construction job doing Yeah, you worked on the Big Dig. On the Big Dig in Boston. Yeah. And that's that's the whole, that was, that's yeah, the, took the uh, whole tunnel, elevated, right? Yeah, elevated the... highway and stuck it underneath the city. Right, right, right. So I worked on that in the Irish local. Jack hammering, clay spading, pouring asphalt, uh, laying walls on top of rebar that the iron workers would cement in for the chambers. Busting old chambers, making new chambers. I remember that whole big dick because I actually, I was uh, I was in New York and I went to a Yankee game, watched the Yankees play uh, in San Francisco. Then the next day I flew up, and I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah, well, actually, let everybody know, Tommy and I are opposite in every sport. There I'm is. just like I'm just like <laughs> the most winningest team. <laughs> I just happen to grow up in the in, in you know title town Red USA. Sox? Red Sox. Y'all count, this, this is why I asked Spike one day, Spike Lee. Y'all as black baseball fans gonna count all them Yankee wins when the baseball was second game? <laughs> yes? Get out of here, y'all! <laughs> Come on, Boston was winning there too, right? No, no not, Boston, not really. Chips. No, I mean, no, they, they were just... Boston had a drought. So yeah. then, I, I, after College of the Holy Cross, I went to apply to the American Film Institute after being in Boston for like back home for like a year or two and then went to the American Film Institute, got my master's in cinematography from uh, graduating in 2004-2005. Right. So after AFI, a good brother named Cliff Charles, who I used to study under in New York, started shooting commercials for Spike Lee and he would let me gaff and operate and we did when the levees broke where I got to gaff and operate and oh, wow. then Spike Lee and other folks made introductions to other people. I gaffed for you on that. 
Do you remember we did the uh, the Sean Penn interview? Oh yeah, that, yeah that's right, end. that's right. Yeah, I gaffed for you. You shot it. Yeah, that was. Uh, wow, you did. Damn, I didn't know you did the levies, the levies, bro. Yeah, I was the gaffer, and then I was like the CCAM operator. Oh yeah, wow. you were, you were down there, and uh, yeah, I was down there like a couple weeks after it happened. Like Hiroshima, man. All the foundations were left with no houses on them. Wow. Found the houses stacked up. The ground was all wet. It was crazy. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I was. That's so funny. I, I had talked to the wife and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna go down there for a week and help. Then I got a job. I never made it. Right. So, after you graduated from AFI, I see you as having done more features than television i think you kind of came to television a little yeah, a little later, later right yeah. but uh like what what are the what are the films what, what was what came so after, i mean like what after happened afi after afi as i started operating in gaffin but during afi i got my first feature where you were the first ad that's right that's right uh what was it called um oh my god american, american wake american wake irish american story right, cambridge right. mass and then I got out of AFI doing some gaffing and operating. And two years, about two and a half years out of AFI, my man Samad Davis, he hired me to shoot a movie for Sony Screen Gems. And Samad was directing. So I was like, you know, I think I was like 27, 28 at the time. Got a union movie. Got into 600. And it's like $3 million movie. Three can play that game. It was a sequel to two can play that game. Right. A month after we wrapped, writer strike happened because two thousand eight, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. And then after right. that, the right actors went on strike. So I went from doing features, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm in the union, this and that," to operating on reality TV. Yep. And that sucked. I was right there with you. I spent <laughs> ten years in reality TV. I mean, besides the time that I was overseas. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, it's like, because when I moved out here, I moved out here for a couple of years after you. Yep. You know, and, and honestly, it's like, you kind of clued me in to like, oh, I can move out to California. And yeah, it was, you were arguably one of the reasons why I did move out here to California, besides the fact that my daughter was already here. Right. Um, I never had any dream to move out to California, but it's like, I, it, was, it was between New York in LA because it wasn't working in Boston right and I had you and a few other friends more friends here than I did in New York just four hours away from Boston right. so I moved out here um, and caught up with you but uh, yeah 2007 was bad for me that's the reason why I went to Iraq yeah and I was doing you know queer eye for the straight girl <laughs> Rest in peace, motherfuckers. Then <laughs> <laughs> people like I, I got. I think I got I fired off the show because I was like, it's so much pain, hand holding that camera. For <laughs> yo, they would they would want us to hand hold the camera, and watch people have a full makeup done, and then take it off, and not put it on sticks. I was like, huh? How would you hold it? <laughs> for arms like twitching you're, you're a human tripod yeah and but then why would they want it on the tripod they, they, they don't want to change the feel that's we think it's the the feel and i'm like yo you know this is and i and at that point i was operating a little bit on bigger movies in, bet in between the reality stuff that like when the movies came back and i was just kind of like yo i've been on a couple of big shows and this ain't it the way the, the producers were acting they were like you thought they were all making Titanic. It was like, where's James Cameron? Because he ain't here. <laughs> Reality is so much harder than narrative. 
<laughs> um, so I did that, and then eventually Spike Lee introduced me to Maddie Libatique, who's been a long-time mentor of mine and got me on a bunch of movies and started shooting second unit for him. And then from there, the universe created different paths and kind of suddenly jumped into you know, TV. My first TV show was with you, with so, Real Husbands. Oh, Real Husbands, exactly, yeah, Real Husbands, yeah. yeah. Real Husbands. Yeah, which was the funniest show I've ever worked on. Yeah. Yeah, constant. I mean, I don't even know how we got through half. Brian, you didn't do that with us. I did. That was season five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Season no, no, no. Five, no. Six. The, the first six. Six. Season no, five. It was, no, it six was, was five. last year. Oh, six okay. was in twenty twenty one. Okay. No, and the funny thing was that you spoke to Van Van Hayden. Oh yeah, that's right. To and you were like, "Yo, Brian wants to, you know, AD, like, you know, hire him." And Van's like, "Brian's a camera operator." Because I had been yeah. doing reality TV. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, so, so and yeah. Van knew me. Like, I had met Van before, but he knew me as a camera operator. Oh, wow. And Tommy like, recommended me. And so Van was like, no, 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 Brian's a camera operator. I don't know why. He, why he, does he want to do this now? Why does he want to get on? Right. Yeah, and then, and then I, but I had been working for like almost a year. And there was uh, Stu Hagen. I had worked with him. And he was recommending me to Van as well and but Van didn't know that it was me. Stu? Stu Hagen. Oh Stu Stuart Stu, Stuart Hagen. Stuart Hagen. Yeah. Stuart <laughs> Hagen. I was like I a Hagen Stu. Stu, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, once once he realized that my name was coming at him from two directions, he finally uh gave in. Okay. And that's when I met you. I met you at because you know Van likes Van does the breakfast meeting, which I think is really cool. It's like he gets the all the department, right. the entire department together, mm -hmm. and we met. And that's where I met Brian. And Brian and I hit it off. I was like, "Oh yeah, wherever I go, you're coming." Because I, I could. The one thing about Brian is, is it's not about me telling him what to do. Right. But it's about the collaboration. Like, hey man, what do you think? He's like, okay. And and his his ideas, just like this show, his right. ideas are something that. I know I can walk away and I ain't got to worry gonna about it. It's going to be executed. Exactly. Yeah. And I know it's going to be done well and I know it's going to be done with thought as opposed to just me saying, I need this, this, this. No, he's he has the creative mind to say, even if I say this is what I want, he'll have the creative mind to say, well, what about this? And it's not like, I'm, I won't be like, oh, nah, motherfucker, I just told your ass right. what I need. And I'm like. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Go do whatever you do, and I walk away and just show it to me. And when it's done, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. And that's how we. That's in that. And because I met him, you did season what, four and five? Oh, just five. Just five. five. Okay, so that yeah. means I met you guys at the same time. And yeah. how was that? How was that working out? Chasing after Kevin Hart and. Oh, and, that and was that that and, job. Uh, it was really. It was a safe place because you know you have Ralph Farquhar. And Stan Lathan, Stan Lathan yeah. and Carl Craig right. running the ship. So yeah. you had, you know, three three black men who employed me to do this show, and they let me know that they weren't gonna let me fail. And like, and my crew was fast because we had done music videos and features together. That it was like it was easy to to surf, but at the same time, you know, we developed a certain work ethic with Uncle Stan and Ralph and, and Big Bro Carl. And uh, it was just one of those things, man. But it was a safe, as much as, as many of the jokes that were cracked on people, this and that, 
a lot of people of other communities were safe and on, on that show. Like, I don't really think anyone got let go ever on the show. No. Everyone was like, it was cool. Yeah, no, I, I remember working on that show. There was, the, I, I never felt like there was there was any sniping or anything like yeah. that. Nobody yeah. was trying to like. But that starts with Stan and Ralph. Yeah, Stan, Jesse. Jesse, Stephen Hill. Stephen Hill. Hill yep. um, uh, Chris Spencer. Right. All of those guys, Kevin. Mm -hmm. um, all those guys who. Who just kind of like, yeah, like looked out for you. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? It was, it was a place where black people were making money. Yes. Having crafts and getting opportunities. Like yeah. myself, my crew, myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it was great. It, it was a great learning environment. I'm still friends with Stan and Ralph. Yeah. You know, they, they've helped me out. And rest in peace, Carl Craig. I've done a couple yeah, of shows. Yeah, yeah. Carl, I remember first time I met Carl, I was doing a video for some director. I don't even remember who he was. And. He wasn't that good, but he was. Like, you know, <laughs> but that's the first time I met Carl. I gotta go back though. I got I got a Carl Craig story for y'all guys. <laughs> first time I worked with, we were in Savannah, Georgia. Oh shit! Doing the Mickey Howard story for TV One. Christine oh. Swanson. With grits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. With grits. Oh my god. But me and Carl Craig would go hang out, right? We would say, all right, you know, we would walk around. We go get dinner sometimes, and then one time we went out to. Uh, this one night we went and hit up a couple of local juke joints. <laughs> right. Bro, they had like a, a shotgun house, have some white bread out with some fish sandwich. <laughs> yeah. So then you know we bouncing around spot to spot. We just having a good time, just the two of us laughing. We get back, and then the next boy I get a phone call. <laughs> Tommy, what's up, man? Hey, hey, I need you to go take me to the hospital. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yo, I get, I get to his, I think he was staying at a different hotel. Go and get him. I got to carry him kind of like out of his room, like kind of holding him. Wow. Right? I drive us to the parking lot. He's like, he's like, uh, you got to call my wife, tell him at the, the hospital. I'm passing some stones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yo, he was flat out in the parking lot. <laughs> I think about it. it was just me. <laughs> Calling his wife. On the other hand, hey, take a crawl to the hospital. He passes. <laughs> and I drop him to the, or like emergency care, whatever. And that was like within like the first few weeks of the crawl. Craig, man, in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> if he was here right now, he'd be laughing because he was flat. I was. I was literally holding no one else. Wow. I talked to his wife. He's like, oh, wow. I was like, yeah, went Tommy, blah, blah. And then eventually we met later on, and it was just like, like oh, thank you. I was like, Carl's with me, you know? Yeah, like, Carl was cool. He was just at the juke joint. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> now yeah. he's past the stones. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, that right there, that makes me think about how you know, really all relationships are built off of the fact that we just do things together. And no matter yeah. what it is, you know, it's like obviously we work together. Right. We show up to work. We see each other. We're collaborating. We're getting, you know, we're doing setups. We're doing shots. We're doing, you know, we're moving all over the place. But like just in general, like that's what a relationship is with somebody. It's like you can't really necessarily build a relationship with someone unless you're doing something with them. Right. You know, you like you share and build these 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 memories and and uh, and interactions with each other. So, I'm curious, like how how do you view you you know 
that sort of camaraderie and relationship, you know, working relationship with your with your team, with crews and other departments working in the film industry? I mean, it's my opportunities were first given to me uh, by black filmmakers, mm -hmm. and I was around black crew first. Mm -hmm. Majority all black crew. Like working on the music videos was the first thing I did. Then I started PAing in Boston. Then I was like the only black person on the set at like 20 years old. You know what I'm saying? And then when I got into 41, I was a, I don't know if I was the first in local 41 Grip Electric Union, Massachusetts. I knew I was sometimes the only black person on the whole set, but I might've been one of the first black members mm. in local 41 in Boston. Cause I got in, I think like 97 or something. I was like only 19 or 20. Um, but a thing about like film schools, like you learn a lot of like, about movies, techniques, this and that, but the relationships is what you really want to capitalize on. So even in this, there's a lot of good technicians in Hollywood. Don't mean they ain't assholes. And the day of the assholes really kind of been phased out with the cancel mm. culture and everything else. And it's kind of like, you know, I've assembled my team from different places. Alex Lim, who pulls focus for me, you know, he's- Big Al. Alex, cool as hell, right? Yep. You know, and, and Alex is a, young black man who freaking was my TA at New York Film Academy when I was doing reality TV. I was teaching at New York Film Academy. Oh, wow. He was my TA. Here in here. L.A.? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Burbank, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is and it Burbank or the Hollywood one? Nah, the Burbank. Okay. Right on Riverside. 3000 Riverside Drive. Yeah. So then he was my TA for like a couple of years. And sometimes he'd be my only crew. And, you know, and so then I thought he was a really good like focus pull and technical and this wow. and that. And then I met this guy, Justin Dixon, on this movie that I did in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He came out. He was my intern. And over the years, he just kept, like, staying, you know, hanging out together. And now he's an A-list gaffer. Yeah, yeah solid. Yeah, yeah, just a solid. He yeah. Did, well, he, he gaffed Licorice Pizza, P.T. Anderson's movie. Yeah. Like, he left. Yeah, left us. Yeah. I called. I, I texted that plus. I was like, I'm about the first uh, snowfall, the first black... First AD for the entire season of stuff. Are you leaving? And he laughed. He's like, yeah, man, I got to go. I was like, I got you. Yeah. I was looking forward to seeing you. His career's done amazing. Yeah. I've, uh, you know, and then there's also this Bobby Thomas who was introduced to me. I forgot who introduced me to Bobby. And I'll was never it, forget. Was it John? Nah, somebody. No, Johnny Simmons introduced me to Bobby Thomas. Johnny Simmons, another. Uncle Johnny, yeah. yeah. DP, yeah. Johnny, so, I did. So Johnny was like, him. you should hire Bobby Thomas. I know he's not keen right now, but look at his crest. And look. And then, son, and then I, I called him up and we were talking about the show. And he had known about the show because him and John are freshman year roommates. At exactly, USC. yes. So then I call up John. John being John. John Luke. Singleton. Right. John Singleton. And so then. I want to talk to John Singleton. I was like, yo, man. He was like, who are you thinking about crew? And I started naming people, and I mentioned Bobby, Bobby Thomas. And he was like, Bobby's hired. I was like, what you mean? He was like, ain't nobody else to talk to about it. Who I needed to tell that he's hired. That was like the conversation. Right. And Bobby was hired. He did, you know, what, three seasons? Yeah, yeah he did three, three, four, five, yeah. one after you. Yeah. But he read Snowfall scripts before everybody else because that was his ace. Yeah. So one day after Bobby and I first met, it's hilarious. We're in Lamert Park. We walking down the street, and we we had lunch or something. You never guess who we ran into. Who? Kakai. 
Ah. So then we ran into Kakai <laughs> on the street Kakai, while I'm on the way to go to John Singleton's office to see if he's even there. Okay. Right, right there on 43rd. Yep. Yep. And then we talked to Kakai for an hour after me and Bobby had met for an hour or something. And then Kakai's like, I'll see y'all later. And then we walk down the street and we get to John's office. No one's answering. Then John's mom shows up. She's known Bobby since he's 19. She's like, I'm John's upstairs with Dwight. 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 Uh, Stevenson. Stevenson. Yeah. Right. And then she let us in. John comes down. And then, like, you could just see, like, I have these pictures. You could see them because I hadn't seen each other for a little bit, even though they had talked. And you could tell they're, like, friends from, like, way back. Right, and right. And then we all sat upstairs in John's office for another three hours. That day I spent five hours, the first day I ever met Bobby Thomas. Five hours because just we was in the community. Right. You run into Kakai <laughs> on the way to John Singleton's office. Right. But that's also the street in the Mert Park is where I met John Singleton at a book signing that Spike Lee was having. Mm. And it was John's birthday party that night and Spike introduced me to John Singleton and we rode to his house and he hand introduced me. There was no one else at the door. It was me, Spike, and John. He's like, yo, John, meet Tommy Maddox up to our talk. You need to know him, Tommy, meet John Singleton at his crib. Wow, nice. Baldwin Hills. Baldwin Hills. Yeah. Up in the Dons. Yeah, yeah Dons, yeah. right? He lives around, well, he lived around the crib. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is down the street from Inglewood where I stay. But, you yeah. know, they just that, that web and the network. So the formation of, uh, you know, crew that I have is also like, you know, Jose, Pauline. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my network slowly evolved looking for community because of the community and how my first joints was all community based black content. It kind of still is, but it's like people didn't want to give opportunities to do, do something else because your reel didn't look right enough for them you know what I mean well I mean that's something that you and I we've talked about before is how do you build diversity on right and it's really it really is I mean it's the same way everybody gets work it's just like it's who the you know yeah, you exactly. really got to like trust people to put the teams together right right and it's as simple as what is the shape who are you being presented as HODs and hopefully from there mm -hmm. yeah. you know just to make a difference yeah yeah exactly and I mean it's it's just so it's just so funny how my my whole perspective was from something totally different. Right. Yeah, because I mean, I was, like I said, for, I was always like one or two mm -hmm. black right. people on the show. Right. And everyone used to, and, and it's so funny, it's like, because I also, growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood that was 2% black. Mm -hmm. right? right. Until I came to, my parents split up at an early age, and when I would come to L.A., They'd be like, oh, man, you, you don't sound like us. Right. <laughs> you, you don't sound like us. I'm like, what does that mean? They're like, come on, bro, you know what that means. It's like, you grew, up, you, you grew up like in the valley. You grew up, you know, I grew up in Mira Mesa, so right. it, was, uh, it was totally different, you know. It, it, was, it was like I wasn't black enough sometimes, right. you know. And then I ended up going to shows where I was the only black person on the show. You know, like, like my first movie was, my first big movie was Beverly Hills Cop 3. Right. right. It was me, Eddie, and Eddie's crew. Right? Bear Steptoe. Yeah, Bear Steptoe. Bear <laughs> Steptoe. <laughs> so then after that, you know, I got it. Then I said, what did I do after that? It was um, uh, Devil in a Blue Dress. Right. Carl, Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin. Yeah. And I moved on from there. And um, first AD, Cattley Frownfelder, was big, a big person in my, in my career. Right. Yeah. All it takes is one person to champion. Exactly. You know what I mean? That was Brian Heller for me in Massachusetts. He went to Holy Cross. 
older white gentleman, him and his wife Christine have been mentors of mine since I was like 20, 21. And uh, to this day I've talked to him, I've thanked them every single city I fly to around the world. You talked about it earlier, but it's like you didn't go to film school. Nah, I didn't go to film school until I went to AFI. So College of the Holy Cross didn't have a film program, so I studied like studio arts and African American studies. They may have like a minor now, but... And that's how you met Brian Heller, right? Yeah, through the mentorship program that they had at the school. It's like, you know, you never know how the universe takes your path. I never told you the story? No, you have told me that story, but I, I mean, but, but tell it again, because okay. I mean, I, so this is, I this forget is, stuff. So this is, in 1996, I went into the College of the Holy Cross, right? This is before email. It's like right when email started. Right, but right. But there wasn't like a database of getting people's emails, right? Right, right. So I looked up film commission. I'm like a freshman at Holy Cross. And I get the names of all the cinematographers that they had listed in Massachusetts. Going into freshman year, I applied at a place called Boston Camera and High Output to try to get a job or internship. I got denied because I wasn't at Emerson or BU. So by the end of my you know, freshman year, I had put out all this thing for the sign up for a mentorship program. Totally forgot about it. And then in the spring, I had sent out letters, I think at the end of my freshman year, right before the summer, I sent out letters to 16 cinematographers, handwritten, typed up, right, right. got yeah. addresses, stamped them, right? Right. Two people got back to me. Out of 60, I don't have to pay for my stamps and shit, <laughs> right? So I, uh, I get two responses. One person's like, uh, sorry, kid. And then somebody else was like, nah, I don't do that. But then here's the thing. You should contact this guy named Brian Heller. And I was like, oh yeah? They're like, yeah. And he was like, send him the same letter you sent me. And I was like, bet. I sent Brian a letter. It was like August, September. I had pl applied at Boston Camera and High Output again to try to work an intern. So going into freshman year and after freshman year, they denied me both times, right? And Brian got back to me into my sophomore year. He calls me up on a Sunday. I'm, I'm hanging out with my friends and whatnot. And he's like, hey man, did the school talk to you? And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? He's like, I went to Holy Cross. I was like, oh, serious? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, because I'm asking you this because I got your letter on a Saturday, but just Thursday before that the school contacted me about you. I was like, what you mean? He's like, yeah, there's mentorship programs. Like, like now nah, I just sent to him. Oh, he's like, oh, wow, that's kind of crazy. So like how the universe conspired from two ways. Right, right. For me and this guy, he's like, you know, no, no one in like 30 years has contacted me from that school about film because he's a cinematographer, right? Wow. He shoots aerial cinematography. This guy, Brian Heller. His kind of famous. Yeah. Die Hard. No, Nakatomi Plaza. When they jump off, he's the he's the the aerial DP. So from oh, that, wow. he did GI Jane. He did all but types I of know, stuff. I, the name sounds familiar. But yeah, he I was didn't. in and out of L.A. for years, New right. York. He did all the major movies, all that stuff, right? And I was like, oh, shoot, man, you know, this is great. He's like, you know, I do aerials in second unit. I'll have you come by the house. Because he lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Like so, two blocks from where I lived in Providence when I went to RISD. RISD yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so then fast forward on the same phone conversation. I'm telling you, he's like, so what have you been trying to do with film considering you're on Holy Cross? I was like, oh man, you know, I do still photography. I learned black and white. I take the film classes. Like I took Italian cinema studies and this and that. He's like, but I was like, yeah, you know, I've been working construction, finally shot my first thing, but I've been trying to get a job at Boston Camera or to get in the internship program and I've been denied twice. And he starts laughing. And I'm like, what's so funny? He goes, I own that place. <laughs> Lee, he's like, I'm one of the, I started that place and one big partners of it. Like, he's like, so you got an internship. 
Now, mind you, it's fall of, of sophomore year. So it's like I got some time because you couldn't commute from Worcester. And I was still playing football at Holy Cross. And I was like, oh, wow. So you played football. What, what, um, what position? I was playing uh, quarterback. I was like, wasn't getting much PT. And then they put me at cornerback and then brought me to quarterback. And then I got jerked around. I said, you know what? When I'm running half faster than the majority of the offense and making plays and scout team, and then we owing 10 anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got nothing to lose. And they, and it was like, you know, this, uh, like, it, was, it was pretty funny. It was like the defense had all the brothers except for like maybe two. And it was right. like, I've never played a football team where there's only two brothers on offense and the rest <laughs> on defense. And anybody that played football with me at Holy Cross knows this is true. <laughs> um, but it's cool though. I mean, I had a lot of great relationships off that. But this whole thing with Brian Heller, Holy Cross alum of 68, he was like, so then what else you been doing? I was like, man, I've been trying to apply at high output to just learn the lights. I said, I'll clean lights. I got no problem doing the dirty work. I said, I just work construction in the big dig. Right. Clean up some lights, clean up a warehouse you just to learn. You were working in sewers. Yeah, I made yeah. sewers. I literally made sewers wow. in, in Boston, downtown Boston. And so he starts laughing. He's like, I'm like, it was so funny. He's like, I'm one of the partners of that place too, so you got a job. <laughs> so off his one conversation, Brian Heller changed, helped change my life. And meanwhile, I was PAing for Mike Ellis. I would go down, right, right. back and forth, whatever it took. Yo, I was like, once I, I felt the camaraderie on a film set, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know what I mean? I love team sports anyways. And it's like. And it's I'm a team. Like, it is a team. Yeah, it's very much a team. And it was just great. You know, it's like, I love taking images and how the DP had all these, like, you know, other people that he worked with and working with the collaborating, like looking in that box. So that type of drive just kept me going. So then I interned into my sophomore year and junior year worked at high output. And then in between junior and senior year worked at high output and was getting on sets between New York and Boston, still an undergrad. And then I uh, got out, did catering at one point <laughs> when I first got out of college because there wasn't that many film jobs in Massachusetts. And then I started to get more film jobs. And then uh, I applied to AFI and got in. Nice. Yeah, and I think that's why you and I, we, we got along. Well, I, I know that's what, outside of college, working with you is the first time that I was on a small film set. And, right. and just like being able to be around a bunch of independent filmmakers mm -hmm. um, making stuff in that, in that Boston community. You know, you yeah. introduced me to that. Yeah, no, I mean, and here's what I can say. Like, Boston definitely has issues. I've been in the thick of it in Boston, right? But there's a lot of good people that helped me in that community from, like, a guy named Pierre O'Halloran, Jim Hirsch. Um, oh, my God. Who else is there? Lynn Moncrief, Brian Malcolm at Boston Camera. There's, you know, Tim Ben Patton. There's a lot of good guys who really embraced the fact that I, what I want to do. And one of my good friends who went to AFI before me is from South Boston. This cat named Terrence Southie. Hayes. He's a total Southie. <laughs> Liver on Broadway. And Terrence always believed in me and I, I love him for it. And between him and Brian Heller, they could really help me transition to AFI. Terrence went the, a couple of years before me. And he was like, I can do this, you can come out here. And sure enough, it's, it's worked out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Boston's an interesting place to say the least. Now you live in LA. Yeah. And what's that like? I mean, how's that like working in the industry, living here? I mean, it's, that's the thing. It takes like, it takes some, and I say in our community, it, it takes, you know, some embracing and opportunities that you know I've known. I can't tell you how many times I heard about people getting opportunities straight off the plane or bus 
and I have been here for a little bit, but it's like, I you know I went to AFI to help that curve, and, I, and it did help it. Yeah. And I'm just like, you just got to keep at it. You got to want it you got, so bad. Exactly. That it, like, you know, you don't mind getting up in the morning. To this day, I mean, I love it. I mean, I love the fact that I can afford to have a family here now. I have a home, wife, a daughter. You know, we, we live a great life when I am here shooting. <laughs> not much production happening in Los Angeles these days. Yeah. So That's the one thing I love about this business. This business takes you around the world. Right. You know, and, and where you're nine to five and people are telling you, I couldn't work this job because I'm not sure if I'm gonna, when my next job's coming or where it's gonna be. Yeah. But it's like, dude, I, I work six to eight months out of the year mm -hmm. and the rest of the year, I can pretty much do what I want. I remember uh, David Householder was one of my mentors as an AD. And he was like, Spoon, you gotta get that. You gotta get that AD money, bro. You gotta get that <laughs> AD money. You, that PA money, yeah. I was doing all right as a PA, right? I was making like, grand a week, and this was back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like the hotshot PA, but they're like, yeah, that ain't nothing compared to that AD money, man. And once you get, like you said, once you get that AD money or or you get that union money, right? It's totally different. Yes, yeah, it changes. It changes your life because now you're, you're like you said, you're you can afford a house. You can afford to do these yep. different things. Yeah, and, and, that but it, but it also it, it requires that we work a much different type of work schedule. Yes. And, and we wind up living a much different type of lifestyle. Yes. In conjunction with a, with that work. So how do you, Tommy, how do you explain that to people? Like, you know, I mean, you and I, we come from the Northeast. I think we both came from pretty like working class families right. and, and communities. It's like, how do you explain that to the folks that you're like, when they ask, like, oh, what's it like living in, uh, in LA, I mean, or yeah. working, living in LA and working in the film industry. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta explain to them. Well, my, I usually explain it by, you gotta love it. Like if you don't love this, and you're working, you know, 12 hour days and 90 minimum, weight, right. Minimum to 12. And it's like, if you don't have that work ethic to like really love this, then this ain't, this it's ain't for you. you. Yeah. But as you, as I said, you know, earlier, like I made sewers, so I dreamt of this. So people, I was, why are you always laughing and smiling for the most part? It's like, I dreamt of doing this while I was making sewers, yo. Right. Like while I was like, you know, odd job, while I was cleaning cases at Boston Camera and PAing for Big Mike and getting yelled at to lock a street down <laughs> at 2 a.m. Right, no I'm going to DP. No one's listening. <laughs> and I'm like a PA and I'm like, I'm going to shoot one day. I'm going to shoot. And he's like, yeah, okay, I get that. But I need you to do this lock. <laughs> right, yeah. or, or, or Mike will let me see the monitor a little bit, stand somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and talk like, so I dreamt of what I do now. You know what I mean? And here's the thing. What? Somebody told Brian, oh, yeah, yo, Tommy's privileged. And Brian was like, hold on. Yo, my dad worked for the transit, you know, like my dad drove. <laughs> I told him, I said, you know, in the 1980s, in the 1980s, my neighborhood was called Murder Pan, like for good wow. reason. <laughs> Bro, I, you know, on my block and where, you know, it, things happen. I, yeah. I, with first cousins of mine, man, you know what I mean? Like, but for me, I'm, I was a good kid. I just had to keep my wits. But, you know, my mom was an accountant and my dad worked for the transit. Both had jobs for 30 something years, raised four kids in the hood it yeah. just is what it is yeah you know but yet my there they they did some great things for us they my parents tony and daughter gave us some great opportunities so i can't complain about it but my work ethic starts because my dad working for the transit 
and I tell everybody this. If there's a snowstorm, my dad would get up early and take the triple time because all of a sudden they need people to start moving buses at 4.30 for the 5 or 6 o'clock traffic and all that. Right. Me and my sister would wake up at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and shovel the driveway. So he could get out? So he can go out and go to work. Nice. That's the type of parents I had. Right. You know what I mean? Like my dad would have me wash cars every Sunday, even into the wintertime, because it's like the salt's going to eat the car. So we're going to sit here in the backyard and, and wash the cars. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go ride bikes. Right, like, yeah, yeah. I want to hang out with my like, friends. Nah. But all this stuff that's, you know, with my parents and work ethic that they had, and it's just like one of those things that even to this desk, I, I, I love getting up early. I don't mind getting up and to me, I like seeing people. If I'm on a show, I like to see the people. I look forward. I can like, you know, I can do five hours of sleep, get up, and be good the next day to block out the next scene, yeah. light it up. Yeah. I've usually done my homework, you know, way beforehand. Yeah. So I'm in the film business because I like the challenge. I love the work. And I love the creativity and the camaraderie. Yeah. Well, Abby's up. Abby's up. Um, what shows are you watching these days? What, uh, what excites you? What, what you Hijack get? on Apple is really good. Hijack, who's that with? Idris Elba. Ooh, yeah. That's really good. Okay, I got to check that out. Is it, a, is it a show? or yeah, it's a show. Okay. Watch Silo. I heard Silo is pretty good. That's yeah. what, Silo's Amazon? Not that, Apple. That's Apple, Apple too? put on a couple yeah. of bangers right now. Okay. Um, also just watched uh, The Host, Bong's movie, one of his early movies. Okay. The guy who did Parasite. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and then also just watched, I saw Barbie, Oppenheimer. What'd you think? Uh, what, hold on, there's another movie I saw. Mission Impossible. Yo, what'd you think and of that? And the, the, the Happening. Is it The Blackening? The Blackening. The Blackening. The blackening. Yeah, right, yeah. The Blackening. Brothers is messing up a name right Hey, <laughs> listen, we'll be um, good. Listen, that yeah. shit is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I gotta check that out. Who's it's that with, is? um, uh, Melvin from Snowfall, is it? Yeah, yeah, um. It was a, it's a, it's a comedy. Is it paranormal? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Martini's up. Martini's up. Martini is. Who would you like to see in that chair and here on this show? Oh, man, you should get, can I, do I have to only name one person? No, no, you can name as many people as you like. Oh, man, then you should get, like, you should get Justin Dixon. Okay. She get Bobby Thomas because he covers a level of time. She get somebody like Alex Lim to talk about his process being a, you know, a black first AC of the new generation. And she get Barry Steptoe of the old generation. She get Pauline Edwards, who's the first black woman to ever win an SOC award. Yeah. Um, talk about her journey um, from reality to TV, where she's from. Pauline's great. Yeah. yeah. And then uh. I don't know, man, I can go on. There's, there's plenty of people that deserve to to just talk about the process. And yeah, I enjoy working with you. Oh, and I just hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy working with you, and you're one of my best friends, so I appreciate Definitely you. Definitely my, my ace. <laughs> you, know, you know who y'all should get, too, that would be interesting on something like this, talk about the space and helping out, is like Robert Keslow. Oh yeah. Because remember, he's a he's a he's his own shop. So right. when he started off, he had two 16 millimeter cameras, and he was renting them out to Lionel Martin and all the music black music videos. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy everyone called, and they would come to his house somewhere here in the valley, and he said he was on his washer and dryer, putting a camera package together and sending it out. I mean, I mean that's yeah. the important thing about your podcast is to let the community know there's other jobs 
Besides, besides being in front of the camera, not right. everybody can be in front of the camera. No, no not, not at all. But not you can all. have a living and yes, get in where you can fit in. Yep. There you go. Exactly. All right, call it, brother. That's a wrap. <laughs> all right. <laughs>